0: We're going to pray in a moment before we start. But before we do, I would ask that you would open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's a Bible in the back of a chair in front of you that you should be able to reach. And you can find this passage on five, uh, page 580. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this evening. Thank you for the blessing of your Son, for Christ Jesus, who is God, who came in the flesh for the purpose of purifying those of us all who are sinners and offering us life eternal. Father, we pray that as we look at the scripture tonight, that we would not hear the word of man, but the word of God that you have given us A beautiful passage which is beyond my description. A passage that defines who you are and what you've done. So Father, we pray that you would open our eyes for those of us who know you. That our hearts would be filled with love for you. And for those who don't know you, that their eyes would be open. That they might come to place their faith in your Son. Thank you, Father, for this word. Thank you for this night. Thank you for this time that we can just come together and be quiet and consider what Christmas is truly all about. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. The book of Hebrews was written about 67 to 69 A.D. The author of it is unidentified. Some believe it was the Apostle Paul, but we don't know for sure. It was written to Jews, mostly Christian Jews. And the purpose was to show them that Jesus Christ is in fact the fulfillment of all the Old Testament messianic promises that had been written hundreds of years before. And that He, Jesus, is superior to all the pictures and types and representations and shadows that preceded Him in the Old Testament. It was written to assure the leaving Jews that their faith had been well-placed. So as we look at this passage, Hebrews chapter 1, starting in verse 1 and reading through verse 4. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, The Old Testament was simply God speaking to the Jewish people, the fathers, through the prophets in many different ways and at a number of different times. God's Spirit spoke through the Old Testament writers in 39 different books. And God's servants received his words in many ways, sometimes audible, other times inaudible, sometimes in symbols. Sometimes in ceremonies, even on stone tablets, which God wrote with his finger. But all of it was inspired, all of it was inerrant, and truly what God wanted written exactly the way that God wanted it written. In 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 10, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. When Paul wrote that all scripture is inspired by God, he was referring to the Old Testament, which was all we had at that time. When Peter was also referring to the Old Testament, when he said no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit in 2 Peter chapter one. The Old Testament was a preparation for Christ the Messiah. But not one of the Old Testament writers presents the entire picture of the Savior. No one saw a complete picture of the Messiah until Jesus himself actually came in the New Testament. I think we need to be careful at Christmas that we don't just sentimentalize the story of Christmas, that it's just a baby in a manger, and be touched by the carols that we sing and the traditions that we have, but realize who it is who came in a manger, who it is we worship. When Jesus came, God presented the entire picture. Colossians 2.9 says, for in him Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily in a man. In Christ we see everything that we need to know about God. He was superior to all the previous revelation of the Old Testament. Jesus as the full expression of God could say of himself he who has seen me has seen the Father. So who Jesus was, what he said, and what he accomplished by dying and rising from the dead is God's word to us, and it is his final word. And after presenting Christ as God's son, the writer of Hebrews gives a sevenfold summary of the preeminence of Jesus Christ. Starting in verse 2, But in these days, last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high." this passage is the grand summation of the child who entered the world in bethlehem in a manger first of all christ it says that christ is the heir of all things but in these last days he has spoken to us in his son whom he appointed as heir of all things god has planned for jesus ultimately to inherit everything back in psalm 2 god the father says ask of me And I will surely give the nations as thine inheritance, and the very ends of the earth as thy possession. Everything in the created order, whether the material or spiritual world, everything God has ever created belongs to Jesus Christ. And because he owns it all, he can make good on all the promises that he has given us in Scripture When Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. He can make good on that promise because he will own all the earth. When he promises us in Romans chapter 8, nothing in all creation shall be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He can make good on that promise because he will own and control all of creation. When he promises in Revelation 21 that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain, he can make good on that promise because he will own life and death. A Galilean carpenter crucified on a cross, the heir of the universe. While he was on earth, Jesus owned little or nothing. He said, the foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have their nest, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. The Son of God was buried in a borrowed tomb, (laughs) but all will belong to Christ, and everyone, people, and angels, and all powers in the universe will bow before him because, as Philippians 2 says, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So he is going to be the heir of all things. And Christ was the agent of creation. Verse two, through whom also he created the world. John chapter one that Greg read a minute ago, all things came into being by him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Jesus eternally existed before he came to earth in the person of Jesus of Nazareth because he is the eternal God who always has been and who always will be. He already owned the universe by virtue of creating it with the Father. Colossians 1, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So Jesus has the right to be the heir of all things. Number one, because he made all things. And number two, because he defeated his enemies and purchased a lost people from sin and death through his death. He died and rose again to redeem for himself a people and destroy sin and death and Satan. So Jesus can and will make good on his word because he is God, he is creator, he is the triumphant heir over all evil and misery. Ask yourself this question, have you so meditated on his word that it has become so much a part of you that it shapes your very being and gives you life and guidance? Number three, Christ is the radiance of God's glory. Who is Christ? Who died for sins? Who rose from the dead? Who upholds the universe by the word of his power? Who sits at the right hand of God? Colossians 1 speaks of Christ and says, He is the image of the invisible God. It's like rays of light flowing from the sun so that we see the bright ball in the sky. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God that we might see the image of God. The radiance being co-eternal with the glory, with the Lord himself. So Christ is co-eternal with the Father and of the same substance and the same essence as the Father. Number four, Christ is the very essence of the Father. He was begotten, not made. Verse three says the exact imprint of his nature. Christ has all the attributes that are indispensable to who and what God is. He is immutable, unchangeable. Christ is omniscient just as the Father is omniscient. He is omnipotent just as the Father is. And he is omnipresent everywhere at all times. So when we talk about the baby in the manger, we are talking about none other than God himself. Fifthly, Christ has ultimate authority. Verse 3 says that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus spoke the universe into existence and made it out of nothing. If that doesn't blow your mind, I don't know what will. He simply spoke the universe. Galaxies and galaxies and light years away and what we see, and what we feel, and what we touch. Jesus spoke it into existence, but this verse three says he not only created it, but he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus upholds and sustains all that he has created, keeping the universe in perfect order according to the myriad of natural laws that he himself devised. He has the ability to control every element and orchestrate the movements of every molecule, and atom, and subatomic particle. If the size of the Earth's orbit around the sun increased or decreased even the slightest amount, we would soon fatally freeze or fatally burn. If the Earth's angle of tilt altered slightly, the seasons would be disrupted and threatened to end life on this planet as we know it. If the moon's orbit around the earth diminished, even the slightest, the ocean tides would greatly increase and cause unimaginable havoc. And if our atmosphere were to thin just a little bit, many of the thousands of meteors that now enter it and harmlessly incinerate would crash to the earth's surface with potentially catastrophic results. But Jesus Christ prevents such disasters by perfectly maintaining the universe's Intricate balance. The most distant objects, light years away, are not beyond his control. The most delicate and microscopic processes do not escape his attention. Jesus Christ is the preeminent power and authority who nevertheless came to earth in human form, assuming the role of a suffering servant, obedient to his Father on our behalf. Incredible truth. Number six, Christ removes our sins. Verse three, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That was what you and I needed most. And only the Lord Jesus Christ could meet that need. And he said of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father except through me. And in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 and 6 For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. God provided a once-for-all sacrifice in Jesus Christ. Later in the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, verse 28 says, So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of the many. By offering himself to die on the cross, he took the full wrath of God for sinners like you and me. Thus, God can forgive you because Christ paid the penalty for your sins. When Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, once and for all, he paid the price for sins for everyone who would ever believe in him. Have you truly believed? Do you know him? Or do you hear people talk about knowing Christ and you think that's just religious talk, that you can't really know someone that you don't see? But if you know Christ and the Holy Spirit lives within you, His Spirit witnesses with your spirit that you are a child of God and you know exactly what that means. Or are you a person who has kind of gone through the motions? You come to church sometime, you know a verse here and a verse there, you pray occasionally when you're in trouble, You try to be a good person, live a good life, and you think God will accept me because compared to this guy, I think I'm doing okay. That's not the basis on which we are saved. We are all hopelessly lost unless we put our faith in Jesus Christ. So have you put your faith and trust in him for what he accomplished on your behalf on the cross that you can never accomplish for yourself? embrace this Biblical truth. It is written to make you strong and unshakable against the temptation to doubt that your sins can be forgiven. The death, the burial, the resurrection and enthronement of Christ to the right hand of God is meant to make you confident in the hour of trial and in the hour of death, that the purification of your sins is sure and real and sufficient to give you an entrance into heaven. Christ reigns in heaven today because he made purification of sins once for all. And finally, Christ is exalted in heaven. Verse three again, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Christ's ministry on earth ended 40 days after his resurrection when he ascended to heaven. And God seated him at his right hand. And all the way back in Psalm 110, it says, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet. So he, Jesus Christ, the one who came in a manger, he, being the radiance of God's glory, sits at his right hand. He, being the exact representation of God's nature, sits at his right hand. He who upholds all things by the word of his power and he having made purification of sin sat down at the right hand of majesty. At God's right hand, Jesus exercises authority over angels, authorities, and powers which have been subjected to him, 1 Peter chapter 3. It is at God's right hand that he intercedes to the Father on our behalf for those who know him. And it says in this passage that he sat down, something no Old Testament priest had ever done in the holy of holies. Jesus Christ had accomplished the work of redemption forever. Hebrews 9:24 For Christ died. Excuse me. For Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. And finally, verse 4 of Hebrews 1 having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. What is the name that is superior to that of the angels? The Son of God. If you go ahead and look at verse 5 and 6, for which of the angels, to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Paul says in Romans 1 that Christ was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. He has always been the son of God, just like he has always been the heir of all things. But when he had made purification for sins and triumph over death and Satan, Christ was declared the son of God in a new way. Now he reigns as the son of God, not only by his eternal right, but as the son of God by the right of his victory over sin and death. He is the son of God in power by the resurrection. The child born to Mary was indeed God in a manger. He truly was the son of God miraculously conceived by the Holy Spirit yet born naturally to a young woman in Israel and without doubt he was the Lord and Savior who lived a perfect life and died a perfect, as a perfect sacrifice so that all who believe in him might have eternal life. If you don't know the Lord Jesus then we would commend him to you that you might trust in him and love him and worship him. He is alive and sitting at the right hand of God with all power and authority, and he will one day come in great glory to judge the living and the dead. He has the exalted place because he himself, God the Son, is himself God the Son, and because he upholds you and me by the word of his power, and because he has made purification for sins. Would you trust Jesus, the one who holds you in being? the one who gives you your every heartbeat and your every breath and offers you purification for sins and reveals God to you as light reveals the sun. We commend him to you tonight if you don't know him. If you do know him, think about this Christmas, just not about what Christ has done for you, which is gloriously wonderful, but think about who Christ is. He is the God of glory, the heir of all things, the one who purifies sin, the one who upholds everything by the word of his power. Incredible truth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of this scripture. Father, I pray that we would take it to our hearts, that we will see that you have spoken to us a final time in the Lord Jesus Christ. The one whom you have appointed heir of all things and through whom you created the world. The one who's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And the fact that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Father, we pray that we would know what it means to be purified for our sins. And to be made perfect in your eyes, not because of us, but because of Christ. And Father, we put our faith in Jesus, who is now at your right hand, who ever intercedes on our behalf. Thank you, Father, for your grace, for your love. We pray that it would be more real this year to us than it has ever been before. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.